Hi, this is episode 18 of K-Ray Reads to You. Today we have part 2 of chapter 4 of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. Everyone will have sugar-coated puffballs at breakfast now, she announced, until they are all used up. We must eat them before they go soft. Some of us could have them for supper as well. When we find out who is responsible for this irresponsible act, then that person will probably be required to eat sugar-coated puffballs at every meal. It would have a certain poetic justice. But the tins, wailed Mrs. Fosdyke. What about my tins? What happened about the tins was to affect the Bagthorpe's lives, and particularly their eating habits, for a long time to come. Meals could no longer be counted on in the way they once could. The family had never before, for instance, eaten processed peas with custard. Nor did they now, for that matter, but Mrs. Bagthorpe had ruled that whatever tin was opened, its contents must be consumed, so they ate the peas first, then the custard separately afterward. This particular combination came up quite often because the sound of a tin of processed peas, when shaken, was practically indistinguishable from that of raspberries, or prunes, or fruit salad. All the Bagthorpes took up tin-shaking, and there would be fearful rows at first. William maintained that the tins could be identified in an el- by an elimination method, as in the game Mastermind, but his identification record was as bad as anyone else's. He was particularly bad at distinguishing between condensed soup and rice pudding, and the family often found themselves eating a meal with soup, having started it in the, ending a meal with soup, having started it in the same way. Sometimes they even got the same flavor. They got really furious with William when this happened. <clears throat> in the end, it was decided that a rota should be drawn up, and each Bagthorpe in turn should shake a tin and try to produce the commodity Mrs. Fosdyke required. Being Bagthorpes, they could not, of course, leave it at this, and develop a scoring system which was pinned on the pantry door next to the rota. Points were awarded from one to five, depending on the accuracy of the guess. You could only score five by being dead accurate. In the case of soup, say, you actually had to produce the required flavor. Nobody got five very often. Four was awarded to a near miss, such as raspberries for strawberries, and three to a successfully producing the right category, i.e. fruit, as opposed to soup or savory. Two was for a tin of tomatoes. Mrs. Fosdyke had been hoarding them for months, and one's chance of picking them out was at least five to one. And one point went to asparagus, which the Bagthorpes adored, and did not mind eating even at breakfast, following the mandatory sugar-coated puffballs. For anything not in any of these five categories, you simply scored nothing, with the sole exception that if you opened processed peas at breakfast, you got five deducted. William actually went to the length of buying a tin of peas from the village shop, so that he could compare how it sounded when shaken, but this created violent opposition and was ruled out of order. Grandpa was put in the rota at his own request. He had great confidence in his new hearing aid. He had lost the old one in Grandma's birthday party fire, and it must have been fairly effective because his scoring was more or less on a par with everyone else's. The Bagthorpes, if they were in a good mood, quite enjoyed the tin shaking, but Mrs. Fosdyke never did. She nearly gave in her notice over it. "'It's not good enough,' she told her cronies in the fiddler's arms, "'when I've done a beautiful sponge for a trifle, 
and one of them goes and opens a condensed ox-tail. You could weep, and the best of it, for a grown man to have done it. If it had been that daisy, I could have understood it. He's mad, no doubt about it, really mad. On being reminded that she had only the other evening informed them that Mr. Bagthorpe was in one of his sane spells, she replied curtly that as often as not these only lasted five minutes, and now he was right back to normal. Mad. Mr. Bagthorpe was certainly mad on this present occasion when his competition mania was revealed under Uncle Parker's irritatingly amused gaze. "'I wish you the best of luck, Henry,' he said. "'You deserve a break.' "'I shan't need luck,' snapped Mr. Bagthorpe. "'Luckily for me I don't need luck, because I never get any. "'All my competitions will be won by skill.' "'Will you be taking it up full time?' inquired Uncle Parker. "'You've obviously got your work cut out for a long time ahead, "'judging by the state of the pantry. <laughs> "'Giving up the scripts, are you?' "'I might.' "'returned Mr. Bagthorpe, when the money starts flooding in. "'On the other hand, it won't make any difference "'how many yachts and Rolls-Royces I get. "'I'm a driven man.' "'Oh, you are,' agreed Uncle Parker, "'though I'm surprised to hear you admit it. "'I mean driven by my genius!' "'Mr. Bagthorpe was beginning to shout. "'You wouldn't know about that.' "'No, I don't,' confessed Uncle Parker. "'I don't think I am a genius. "'If I am, I should be surprised.' "'You? You?' Mr. Bagthorpe's voice was on a rising scale now. He stopped and looked about, and suddenly noticed that he had an audience. All other Bagthorpes within earshot, and that meant a considerable radius, were now in the kitchen to find out what was going on. When they did find out, it was hideously embarrassing for Mr. Bagthorpe. "'Crikey, father,' said William." "'after an inspection of the pantry. "'You don't do things by halves, do you?' "'The larder really did look ridiculous "'with all its bare tins "'and packets with squares cut out of them.' "'Rosie giggled. "'You are funny,' she told Mr. Bagthorpe. "'I'm going to take a photo of it for my records. "'Will you please stand in the pantry while I take it, "'holding up some scissors? "'Really big scissors would be best, like pinking shears.' "'I most certainly will not,' he told her. "'It would be really unusual,' she said. "'It might even win a photo competition.' "'The day you win a photo competition,' Mr. Bagthorpe told her, "'will be the day pigs fly.' Mm -hmm. "'He was going to be proved quite wrong about this, "'and Rosie herself was almost certain of it, "'and giggled the more at the memory of the pictures of Zero, "'which were now away being developed. "'If you can't stop that, leave the room,' he told her tersely. "'That's rather unfair, Henry,' said Mrs. Bagthorpe. "'I really think that if anyone should leave the room, it is you.' "'Right!' He seized the cue gratefully and flung off, and they heard the study door bang. "'Poor Henry,' said Uncle Parker. "'It's to be hoped he wins something.' "'I'm going to,' Tess told him. "'I've sent off three already, and I'll win them all. "'I shall win a home hair-drying kit.' "'Not that I really want one. "'That's a dead cert, because they're giving away a hundred of them. "'A fully fitted kitchen. "'Not that I need one of those, either. "'And a thousand pounds.' "'Lovely, darling,' cried Mrs. Bagthorpe. "'How clever you are.' "'You think you will,' said William, jealously. "'You want to watch out. "'I'm in for the thousand pounds as well.' "'And me,' piped up Rosie. "'But I'm not telling the other because it's a secret.' 
What about you, dear? Mrs. Bagthorpe turned to Jack. He shrugged. Me and Zero don't go in for competitions, he said. They're a waste of time. They'd certainly be a waste of a postage stamp in your case, William told him. No one ever wins them anyway, Jack said. I did, Uncle Parker reminded him. Just a fluke, Jack said. I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but... Uncle Parker held up his hand. Say no more. I take your point. You are absolutely right, of course. Nonetheless, Celia and I shall be floating about the Caribbean this time next week. Oh, of course. And about Daisy, put in Mrs. Bagthorpe. Of course we'll have her. We'd love to. I'll look after her, said Rosie. I can hardly wait. Will it be all right if I put her hair in pigtails some days? I promise I won't every day, because I know it makes your hair go kinky and spoils it. But can I some days? <laughs> you can do anything you like with it, said Uncle Parker generously. Oh, thank you. Rosie was ecstatic. I think she'll look even sweeter with her hair in pigtails, and more naughty. I think she'll look lovely. <laughs> Uncle Parker could have put in a word here on the subject of Daisy's naughtiness. "'something to the effect that if pigtails were going to make her go further in that direction, "'then at present they had best be avoided. "'He did not do this. "'Nobody else but the Bagthorpes would take Daisy while the Parkers were away. "'Nobody else would even contemplate it, "'with or without the knowledge that she had gone into a new phase of reconciling the disparate. "'If he told the Bagthorpes this, they might even put their feet down. "'So he said nothing, and left the Bagthorpes to find out for themselves.' And that's the end of chapter four of Absolute Zero. See you next time.